Hello everyone, this is Maz. If you're hearing this message, it means you're not part of the Voices of War subscriber community and will only hear the first half of the episode. If that's enough, then I'm thrilled. However, if you're looking to dive deeper into the complexities of war, please consider subscribing to our private feed by using the link at the top of the show notes. By doing so, you'll gain access to all of our episodes, the ability to ask follow-up questions, and we'll become part of an exclusive community that makes this show possible. I hope you'll make the decision to join us today. The real victims are the civilians, are, are the people of Gaza, who are, in a sense, hostages of Hamas. You cannot kill mm. ideas. What the Israelis are trying to do in, in, in Gaza is completely mm. absurd. It, it, they will yeah. strengthen yeah. the idea rather than they will, they will give it more yeah. strength. Uh, uh, they cannot kill uh, mm. Hamas. They will, they will strengthen it. If you consider this from the perspective of the region, the United States is definitely not a reliable partner to its allies. It's very reliable to its enemies. Right. <laughs> it's, you can you can rely on it blundering. My guest today is Nadim Shahadi, who is a renowned Lebanese economist and thought leader who has enjoyed an extensive career in academia and policy advice. Until recently, he was the executive director of the Lebanese American University's New York headquarters and academic center. He has also held positions as director of the Fairs Center for Eastern Mediterranean Studies at the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University, as associate fellow of the Middle East and North Africa program at Chatham House in London, a senior member of St. Anthony's College, Oxford, where he also served as director of the Center for Lebanese Studies from 1986 to 2005. Nadim is also a consultant to several governments and international organizations. He has produced several publications and contributes regularly to media coverage of Middle Eastern affairs, including through a semi-regular opinion column in Arab News. Nadim joins me today for his reflection on the events unfolding in Israel, Gaza and the West Bank, and how these impact Lebanon and the broader region. Nadim, thank you very much for joining me on The Voices of War. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. And now it's an absolute pleasure. And as we were talking uh, offline, uh, I think there are many intersecting uh, interests uh, that we share. Uh, whether I it's uh, to say that I'm that I'm now in Beirut. I'm speaking to you from the mountains outside Beirut. So I look out the, of the window and the balcony to check if there are any planes coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> that's ra ra rather dark humor, but I can uh, I can understand that. And uh, and yeah. the. Might I say the wonderful city of Beirut? Uh, I've had the pleasure of spending uh, a couple of wonderful days uh, walking the streets and uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, and and I do hope to make the link as we talk, uh, as you alluded to now. Uh, yes, preamble. I've been to I've but, been to Sarajevo too, and you, I've had. Uh, it was a very interesting visit. I met a lot of people from civil society there, and we discussed mm. the differences between. Uh, the peace agreements that mm. settled our conflicts, uh, the Taif agreement in Lebanon and the and the uh, uh, Dayton agreement. Yeah, and I and I definitely want to want, want to uh, come to that. But before we, uh, I guess, dive into the 
yeah. uh, discussion proper, it would be, I think, really useful for our audience to get an understanding of your own background. So, so firstly, given how much you've done across your career, how do you describe what you do? Uh, but also, how did you even get into the space where you are now? How did, what motivated your entry into international relations, economics, etc.? I'm um, well. I studied economics, and I was I was unhappy with the way economics was being taught with the mainstream with mainstream economics. Well, at the time I was studying, so so I got distracted and got interested in the history of of economic thought rather than in economics proper. So I'm. Mm. Uh, so I'm more of a historian of ideas and how uh, and how how ideas become accepted and and how they become unquestioned. There there are when ideas sets of ideas become be, uh, become unquestionable. I think that's the mm. biggest danger. As in, they become uh, uh, we, we become wedded to them. Like, for example, trickle down economics. Uh, Whatever. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. Where, yeah. 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 Where you don't you don't even have to you don't question any, anymore the basics, the basic, the fundamental mm. assumption. Mm. And mm. your your uh, uh, so that was that's what. Uh, so I I shifted from I was doing a PhD in the history of ideas of how they they. The post World War II economics, got, uh, which were very statist, if you mm. were, mm -hmm. were, were, what were the debates that made us reach there, if, if you like? And mm. by pure accident, I started a job in Oxford and I stayed there for 20 years instead of just two months and mm. shifted completely to Middle Eastern studies and, uh, and, uh, Later at uh, Chatham House, again for about twenty years, it was. So I'm I'm uh, I'm an imposter, uh, if you like. I'm an imposter on Like I sh I shouldn't call myself an economist. And yeah. I'm an I'm an imposter on several fields. I'm, well, okay, yes. I, I, that, that's not how I would have described it, uh, given given the rep your reputation. But uh, but but I I do appreciate the humility. Uh, and and one thing that I guess struck me is the um, when you were talking about I guess the theories of or economic theory, economic thinking, and how we can get stuck in our ways. Uh, it feels like that resonates quite strongly right now, given what's happening in the Middle East. That absolutely many players might be stuck in their paradigm, in their theory, uh, perhaps geopolitical theory or however we want to describe it. Um, so perhaps that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting launching platform for us. How would you yeah. summarize, in your view, what is happening in the Middle East right now? Um, to, to simplify matters, I think what happened in Gaza recently, uh, last month, exactly a month and one day ago, mm -hmm. um, is, a, is a standard guerrilla operation. Which which was succeeded beyond beyond uh, expectation, and uh, the the standard guerrilla operation. If you look at textbook guerrilla theory, you know Mao Zedong and, and uh, Che Guevara and Ho Chi Minh and whatever. Uh, 
it's basically three steps. You infiltrate the population, you hit at the enemy, the enemy hits back and mm. causes collateral damage with the population. And the population gets angry and outraged <clears throat> and they support the guerrilla more. Mm. So mm. that's mm. that's basically what and that's what we're saying. We're saying that is and we're we're see, we've seen that pattern happen over the last at least 10, 15 years regularly, where mm. Hamas uh, provokes uh, provokes something by Israel, then retaliates, uh, and Israel then reacts and and uh, hits at Gaza, and the whole region rises in outrage. And in this case, uh, the whole world is rising. Because mm. of what the way Israel is is bombing Gaza. So, okay, that, it, that, yeah, that, I mean, that, it is called this uh, strategy of provocation. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. In, well, we've certainly achieved that. I mean, it's there's, there's no yeah. two ways about it. So but it, it has, yeah. and and uh, so going back from that, what's really silly in a way is that we've seen it happen. I mean, it ha there was one episode in. Uh, Last April, there was one in 2021, which was a major one. Mm, mm. There was 2014, there was 2009, 2012 also. At different stages, different intensity, always the same pattern. Mm. Mm. Do, do you consider this, I mean, given the outrage you, 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 you pointed out, global outrage, uh, towards what Israel is doing now in Gaza. Although I do want to ask you whether you think that this that is actually global, or are they um, pockets of support uh, for Israel uh, that we're still, it I is, guess, seeing? Is, of course, no, of course there is. There is uh, the the world is complete. Actually, it's very interesting because this crisis has brought out the the best and the worst mm. in, in in people, and it's brought out the real people the, the real person is the, uh, the you know I, I'm looking at uh, the declarations of some of the politicians in in the US it's fascinating how some of them the ones who pretended to be very progressive and mm, <laughs> all mm, that mm. how they take a position uh, which is obviously very political mm. on, 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 uh, so um, uh, no, there is, there is. It's divided every, almost every, every, every country mm, is, mm, is divided. Mm. So, so how do you, from your, from where you're sitting, and I, as you made the point in Beirut, and I just want to, I guess, uh, uh, place our viewers and listeners uh, in, in a moment in time that, you know, today is the 8th of November, as you alluded to, uh, and it's, it's just gone after midday in Beirut and in Jerusalem. Um, so, you know, this yeah. might come out, uh, you know, barely a few hours later, but just so people know when we're talking. How do you interpret from where you're sitting the actions by Israel in Gaza as well as in West Bank? Yes, I, I, I think, uh, well, Israel has in a way no choice but to fall into the trap yeah. every time. Yeah. And I'm surprised that they do, that they haven't found an alternative. Yeah. Falling into the trap, and and uh, uh, and in a, so that's from uh, on, the, on on the Gaza side. 
the real victims are the civilians, are, are the people of Gaza, who are, in a sense, hostages of Hamas. They've never been consulted by Hamas about dragging mm. them into a war that's going to destroy them and kill so many people and probably displace many, many, many more. Mm. Uh, so, they, so, and and they have no choice uh, in a way. They they are. Uh, uh, I mean, ha- Hamas controls the area. There's no, and Hamas also controls uh, the negotiations with Israel. So Hamas, uh, from time to time, eases matters. Like very recently, in fact, and that's the reason why the Israelis uh, were were uh, taken by so much surprise. Very. Very recently, there has been a, an agreement between Israel and 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 Hamas, mm. uh, brokered by the UN and the Qataris and the Egyptians, to allow to allow, uh, I think, about eighteen thousand workers mm. to go across mm. to Israel, and uh, mm. services and money and uh, yeah, they've released some some money in the construction industry i think in particular and i and i, and I construction yeah. industry and, yeah. yeah and and for someone in gaza to go and work in israel um it's it's very uh, lucrative mm. so, yeah of so, course uh, yeah so we are so you're asking me where i am i'm also a hostage yeah <laughs> yeah because lebanon itself is a hostage yeah to to another militia, which is Hezbollah, because Hezbollah can ignite a war uh, any minute without us in Lebanon having an opinion on it. Mm. About, about it. So, <laughs> so th- that's why I feel uh, this uh, similarity with the people of, of, of Gaza. Yeah, and I think... Uh, uh, and yeah. and uh, there, is, there is no uh, dissent in Gaza because they control it with a, with a, uh, you know, there's, there's, dissent is not allowed. Yeah. If, if you're, it's if ruled you, by the iron the fist, uh, ruthless. Uh, yeah. It's ruled by the iron fist and by gravity. They throw people off balconies. Sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like that's the way they took over Gaza through through violence. Yeah, and 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 in a way, that's the way also that Hezbollah took over Lebanon. Right. Okay, and, and I definitely want to get into those and, parallels and, and because so they're on the, important. So the yeah. other side of the equation mm-hmm. is that these movements are, in a way, empowered by 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 Israeli reactions. Yeah. Okay. So 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 uh, they uh, what happens is, and and their main victory is against their local uh, rival. Mm. So Hamas's victory is complete and absolute against the PLO and against the Palestine National Authority, mm. not, not against Israel. Yeah, it's, it galvanizes its, uh, its, its grip uh, on, on Gaza. Its grip and also it takes credit that it's defending the cause. And uh, Hamas's uh, agenda is that only, only armed resistance can liberate you. Mm. Whereas the... Uh, uh, the PLO and the Palestinian Authority are uh, doing negotiations, mm. and here, has, of course, Israel takes a lot of the the credit for empowering Hamas, if you like, or the blame for empowering Hamas, because uh, in several instances, when say in two thousand and 
2006 when, and 2009 and other places, when there were hostages mm. taken uh, by, by uh, Hamas or by Hezbollah, mm. uh, the, Israel would do a swap and uh, they, they would swap one hostage for hundreds of hostages yeah. or hundreds of prisoners, prisoners in, in Israeli jail. Whereas, whereas the, the negotiations which have been going on now for 33 years haven't released a single prisoner from Israeli jail. Right. So you can see that. So, so, so of course, Hamas and can claim that they, that their, that their, um, uh, methods, armed yeah. struggle yeah, yeah. methods produce, produce, and that the enemy only understands armed struggle and that uh, playing Gandhi doesn't, doesn't work. Mm. With, with the yeah, one of the things that I really liked in the in, your, in the language that you use is that Hamas has set a trap, uh, and this is something I I, I published a, little, a short little piece uh, a few days ago, trying kind of talking to the same angle uh, about this kind of trap that uh, Israel was left between a rock and a hard place. You know, they're doomed if they do, doomed if they don't, uh, because they had to, I guess, react to what you know. Is 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 gross in humanity that we saw on October seventh, um, and because of those hostages, their ability to act was also severely constrained limited. and limited. So therefore, they you know resorted to to bombardments, excessive bombardments in my view, uh, for vengeance. And this is obviously Netanyahu's words, right? It was vengeance. Uh, it's to yeah. exact you know the 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 bloodlust that is understandable given the circumstances. But one of the things that, I, that, I, that I'm still wrestling with to understand, and this, this applies both to Hezbollah as well as Hamas, is whilst, as you said, they don't necessarily enjoy a lot of support, perhaps uh, by the locals, but in Hamas case, they were as democratically elected as, uh, as, as they could be. And apparently, uh, from all accounts, it was really, a very democratic... Really. Okay, right. Yes, sorry, this no, is the, the that's the question. Yeah, yeah, please yeah. go on. Yeah. No, the, the, the 2006 elections where, where uh, so I was, I was there, I was in, in Cairo at the time, mm. and, and I opened the newspaper, there were 11 uh, lists for the PLO, Fatah, and the Independence, mm. which is the secular part. The secular right. Part. And there was only one single Hamas list with its ally. Right. So that's that's the the the, the reason for. So the 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 anti-Hamas list, the anti-Hamas vote was divided, was basically. Div yeah. Divided. Yeah, yeah. In, in, it was diluted basically because there were so many options. Very, right. very, very right, much right. diluted. And and also it's unfair to say that it was democratically elected after 17 years because most of the people in Gaza were not born yet mm. or could not vote. Mm. So it's uh, your your blame in, in a way because the, the the election of Hamas is is mentioned as a blame rather than yeah yeah, yeah. you elected them it's, it's your, your fault your, your, yeah your, uh, absolutely your fault. and yeah but it's not yeah. because they they and the world has changed a mm. lot since mm. uh, so, you know you have a completely new new generation mm. and generations change. Yeah. Uh, uh, and their views change, and yeah, their, yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, against their their 
parents yeah. in, 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 in a sense though. and you can and there is a generational change uh, since that time in the whole region in a way represented by the by the Arab Spring mm. so the Arab Spring is, is a generational change against the the ideas of uh, of the previous generations which were very nationalistic mm. where you accepted the rule of dictatorship because of the priorities of the battle and the cause and nationalism mm. and uh, so so the the Arab Spring represents that mm. And in Gaza too, I mean, is is no in Gaza there is in Gaza we don't know yeah. because there's no expression, mm. but there are. I mean, there are. Uh, there was a time uh, around 2011 also when you could see a lot of hip hop and mm. uh, YouTube music videos mm. and uh, and 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 you can now get get them on uh, get these things on uh, on. Uh, online discussions like uh, Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces. Right. Uh, I mean, I once stumbled. You know, I, I, I listen to Twitter Spaces or Clubhouse when I'm <laughs> going for a walk or when I'm on the treadmill. Or, yeah. And and I stumbled on a on a on a group from Gaza on a, a discussion from Gaza less than a month ago. Uh, sorry, more than, less than a month before the the war mm -hmm. started. And it was very interesting. It was uh, some people were in in Gaza itself, and others were in Germany, in, in uh, Canada, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and Belgium. So the Palestinian diaspora. The people right. who were yeah. in Gaza mm -hmm. were telling them how good the life was, and that they go, that they cross over to Israel. They make four thousand dollars a month. They live like a king in in Gaza with that money, and uh, you know, I I do barbecue on the beach with. Uh, and eat fish on the beach. What do you do in Belgium? How many people do you see? Uh, do you do you have do you have any friends? Mm. You work your ass off. Yeah, and, yeah. And you That's so and interesting. You can hardly pay the bills. And one of them told him, "Yes, I only I, when I came here, I I only knew one cousin." And he told and he told him, "How many times have you seen that cousin in the last two years?" And mm. so th that's so. Uh, this was the, the this was the atmosphere just before That's interesting. The, the war the war started. I'm not trying to say that Gaza was uh, a paradise. Not a prison. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, was a prison, yeah. and it and they are hostages, and they are, uh, and they don't have much choice. And but but people do carve themselves since you are about voices of war. It's a very interesting theme, by the way, because. Very few people understand war if they haven't lived through it. People do carve themselves a space with during the war, where they can ignore it. Yeah, uh, uh, especially yeah. if it's a long yeah. one. It's it's, a, it's it's their way to retain sanity and and connect and, and to others. Yes. And and of course Beirut has experienced yeah. that, and Sarajevo, of course, has. And I know certainly. I, I, yes, we had yeah. the best parties during during the war in the in, in the basement. That's uh, you know my, my dad says the same thing. I mean he's who's a, he's been on the front lines for three and a half years, but he often would reflect and say that those years, despite the fact that his wife and two sons were away in Germany as refugees, those are still some of the most vivid memories of 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 a sense of purpose of collective 
uh, enduring of everybody sharing and coming together. I mean, they had, you know, they dug a well because there was no water, seven meter deep well uh, in, in winter. They had a communal garden, oh, these kinds of things that, uh, yeah. that, that, of course, besides all the killing and the death, there were moments that uh, he even reflects now on fondly uh, some of the most, yeah. dare I say, I, I don't want to tarnish it with a, with a wrong brush, but you know, some of the most memorable, certainly joyous moments of his life, despite the fact that they were in the middle of a war zone or under, under siege. Um, so, so, so that, that, that really resonates. Yeah, and while we're on the subject, another thing about war, I mean, you made me think about these things. I, didn't, I hadn't thought about them before, but um, another thing about it's like it's almost like there is a state of war. It's like a switch. Mm. And when it's over, the switch is switched off. And people go back to normal, normal life, mm. uh, normal relations mm. with, with, with those youth considered as enemies mm. Mm. and and that's why when we get to the differences between our peace process and your peace mm. process mm. in Sarajevo mm. uh, this is a relevant mm. Mm. Uh, factor because in 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 the Dayton agreement they froze the situation of conflict as though it's permanent yeah I mean Whereas I mean maybe the, let's let's get to yeah. that now because I mean we're, we're kind of talking about it anyway so, and it will allow us to open up the conversation uh, uh, as it relates to the yeah. what's happening on the ground now so uh, maybe give us some context because you have spent some time in Sarajevo doing well I'll tell yeah. you, I'll tell you uh, yes I mean I've spent n not enough time in Sarajevo I but but it was quite intense because I went with a group of uh with a, an institution called the Arab Reform Initiative with a group of Syrian opposition people. Okay. And we met, uh, we had uh, two days of discussions with uh, people from civil society in, mm. in, in Sarajevo. And I was, I was there, I was at Shalom House and I was there as a Lebanese uh, expert on Lebanon, if you like, on, uh, and I had, they were friends anyway, mm, mm, so mm. <laughs> invited me. And, and it was to talk about the, the Taif agreement. And the best way I can explain it is that, you see, we are children of empire. Mm. And empires rule over many nations. So in a city like Beirut or Sarajevo, during times of empire, there are many nations who live together in that city. Mm. It's, it's, uh, and you have... Uh, you know, centuries of coexistence and 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 of uh, uh, interaction mm. between families, personal relations, and sometimes relations across communities are better than within mm. communities. Mm. You know, people forget that there is also rivalry within within communities that are sometimes even more intense than than across across, across communities. Mm. Mm. And the way these cities are are constructed is there are quarters you know you you have the the Jewish quarter the Christian quarter the Turkish quarter the Kurds the mm. in your case probably uh, the, the Serbs yeah that's the, right the Orthodox the, the Catholic that's right exactly exactly <laughs> yes. yeah and 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 the interaction happens in the common areas and at night they can go to their area and and be different people mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so you have a dual you ha you almost have a schizophrenic uh, you know you, you need a certain degree of hypocrisy to, <laughs> to, to coexist. coexist yeah and you perfect it you, you can't teach it to people yeah 
and and foreigners never understand it. And that's context. That's context, and that's nuance. Yes, which is why and people it, don't. Yeah, it's yeah. impossible to explain it to to anyone who doesn't, doesn't experience it. it. How yeah. can you have uh, so much prejudice and so much coexistence and so much love sometimes in the same with this, in the same context? And, yeah. Uh, and how overnight uh, it can shift. So it can literally shift overnight. Uh, overnight. Yeah. yeah. Overnight it can shift to very brutal. Mm. Uh, you know, Freud uh, calls it the narcissism of small differences. Mm, mm, yeah. yeah. I think he uses he uses Serbs and Croats as an example. Yeah. That they have the they even have the same mustache. <laughs> yeah. But it's very intense. Yeah. Intense uh, co conflict between them. So. Uh, Yes, it does. It does switch off. So, so uh, the difference between our agreement and the Dayton agreement is that the Dayton agreement was takes the situation of conflict and freezes. It's a ceasefire. It's 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 not a peace agreement. It's a ceasefire. It's a ceasefire, yeah. but it but it freezes the separation. Mm, mm, mm. And when we were in Sarajevo, the 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 people there, the activists, said that. It's not us. What the result is not us. We do not have the prerogative to do joint, cross-communal uh, uh, political programs and mm. projects and all that because because the, the 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 data agreement freezes the separation between us. Mm. It becomes more internal politics. Right. And whereas in Lebanon, we switched off literally forgot that there was ever a war produced a an amnesty to, uh, to all that happened before that that war mm. and continued as though nothing happened with a small fine tuning on the power sharing arrangement right uh, just again many of our listeners or viewers might not have sufficient understanding of the lebanese uh, civil war, so well, perhaps yeah. not even the Bosnian yes. one. Uh, so, so uh, can you just give us the wave tops? Because it was quite a long war. It's not a you know we're not talking a couple of years. We're talking I think it was no, fifteen years. 15, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But in fact, um, and if you want to get into into the uh, the, de the the zoom into the details, it was not a civil war all the mm. time because uh, it was a, it was a uh, I mean, some Lebanese also deny that it was ever a civil war. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In a sense. yeah. Uh, but it was. Yeah. It's the same in Bosnia. It yeah. was different yeah. vision, yeah. different uh, different views, and um, um, in a, in a, in a, in a, in, a, in a nutshell, the uh, ha a lot of the war was uh, internal within each community mm. because of the Syrian takeover of. Of the country, so there was, there was a lot of, uh, there were Syrian factions, even amongst the Palestinians, there were pro PLO factions and pro Syrian factions. This is in Lebanon and, as well, right? So these are the Palestinian refugees, yes, right? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So, the, so the Pal well, it's not just Palestinian refugees. The P the PLO, the PLO no, of course, set, set, yeah, set up yeah. a state. It was a state within. Of a course, state yeah, yeah, yeah. In 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 Lebanon, and it was. Uh, the capital of global revolutionaries, because uh, you had uh, Carlos the Jackal and the Badr Meinhof yeah. and the Italian Red Army and uh, the, the Red Brigade and the uh, 
you know, the Sandinistas and yeah, yeah. Iranian exiles. And so th this was a uh, 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 very intense uh, place during the, uh, intellectually during the civil war. I've met some of the people who were, uh, I've spoke to some of the people who were here about the interactions between the, the different revolutionaries and how there was, there were, they, there was a rift between the northerners, the, the Germans and the Italians and the British and the, the Irish and the, and the southerners mm -hmm. uh, uh, along the lines of uh, Tiermondism. Yeah, yeah, okay. They, they, they lived it. We, we, re we read it in... Uh, in in, in books, in in yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, but they lived it, they, they, they actually lived it. Yeah. On, uh, on, uh, and, and the Iranian revolution, in a, in a sense, I mean, we're digressing, mm. but... The Iranian yeah. Revolution uh, took a lot fr from here, from because o a lot of the exiles were in Lebanon. And wh why was the Lebanon so exiles. such a such a breeding ground? I guess for what was the what was it about Lebanon? Okay. Yeah. And again, I don't want to digress too much so because I think me, all of this I think matters no, no, as we not, as we link it's, it. Yeah. It's all it's all connected. Yeah, yeah. It's all relevant. Yeah. So if I wanted to explain Lebanon in 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 a, in, a, in one sentence, mm -hmm. I would say that. Lebanon is a country that skipped the 20th century. The 20th century is about creating homogeneous nationalist strong states which are sovereign and decolonized, de uh, etc. Yeah. Where you uh, yes, and where you have, where you have, uh, you know, uh, uh, one language, one uh, religion, one culture, one identity. Uh, you know, Atatürk, the, the Turkish. Yeah. Um, Laicite model, yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. is, which is, which the Turkish which Republic is easy yeah. to achieve, mm. which is easy to achieve, and some people idealize it. But you have to massacre the Armenians yes. first and kick out the Greeks and suppress the Kurds. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And brainwash yeah. two or three generations with the dictatorship that imposes on you a new language, forgets five hundred years of it. So we didn't do that. Yeah, okay. They, it's, it's all the countries in the region did that. We absorbed the cosmopolitan Levantine spirit of the region in one place. So Beirut inherited that, that culture mm. of uh, the cosmopolitan culture, mm. a non-nationalist. Uh, and and um, as a result, it attracted most of the... Uh, intellectuals and business people mm. and merchant families from the region. So, so think of place like Alexandria, mm. which was a cosmopolitan city in Ottoman times, comes Nasser and defines Arab identity as, uh, as a rigid mm. thing, which in a way excludes the Greeks of Alexandria, who have probably been there in a continuous presence since the days of Alexander the Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So suddenly they become alien. Yeah. Because it's a nationalist. It's a shift. And yeah. So, so they come. To, they come to Lebanon. Some of them go to Greece, and they can't live in Greece because it's a homogeneous place. Yeah. They need. You sometimes need people to look down on. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I mean, but that's a psychological factor, right, of us and them, right? There's a, there's, that's a really, yes, yeah. amongst people, no, but, among but social groups. If, yeah. if, if you're used to a cosmopolitan existence, mm. 
and a multicultural existence. It's very difficult to to go to homogeneous one. Live yeah. in a very boring, uh, uh, homogeneous place where uh, people are clones of each other. And uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That makes uh, absolute sense. So, so, uh, so, so, in a, uh, so we attracted people from a lot of people from southern Turkey. Um, from uh, Egypt, of course, from Palestine. Uh, the elite of Palestine came to Lebanon. Mm. Uh, the bankers and the contractors. and uh, So if, if uh, from Syria, from Iraq, from, uh, from the whole region. That, uh, so Beirut was a vibrant place in terms of art uh, and uh, music mm. and culture and cafes. And, I mean, you're describing Sarajevo. And, uh, I mean, it's a, I, I find the parallels yeah, uh, just, just, uh, just, just incredible. Very, very mm. different from the, the rigid nationalism. Mm. Mm. Well, we had corruption <laughs> in the good sense of yeah, the word. Yeah, 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 know. yeah. Yeah, because, things were getting done. You know, in, uh, <laughs> yes, and yes, and in you know in Orwell's 1984, mm. corruption is freedom mm. in, in a sense because because a, a an authoritarian regime uh, puts down the rules and any and and the and the, and imposes the language uh, and the ideas and any departure from that is corruption. So. So we were corrupt to the core. Right. But wait, okay. <laughs> because we had no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'll, the best example yeah. is that there is, a, I'm sure there is the same in Sarajevo, uh, in Bosnia, uh, that the Lebanese have uh, attribute their, the, the, the collapse of the state to the lack of nationalism. Mm, mm. And, and they say, we don't have a common history. Each one has a different story. What is this? You need to create. A, a a homogeneous textbook which unifies the history yeah. so that all the students in universities and in schools uh, learn the same history mm. that and that would prevent conflict <laughs> that was that's very co common yeah. discussion yeah. In, in lebanon yeah. and i once in in oxford we had a conference on lebanese history and the Leban the there was they were discussing this and there was a turkish historian there uh, from from uh, Brown University from the States, mm -hmm. who explained that he was sacked from his job. He lost his job. He was almost put in jail and he was persecuted because he dared teach critically mm. the common history book. Mm. So if you define a, a history as a unifying factor and uh, to to maintain civil peace and security then if you dare question it you are you are first of all you're corrupt yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> second of all you are you are uh, creating uh, division and it's an attempt on national security and cohesiveness of the nation mm. you see so oh. so we were not like that mm. and and it's that kind of freedom we in in lebanon with, with a very weak with weak state institutions, we only had an army for parade. <laughs> yeah, very nice uniforms, mm. because because around us there was a deliberate anti-military feeling and vibe, culture. Yeah, yeah, feeling for two reasons. One of them is that the the military were really native, in the sense that they were the real Lebanese mm. in the, the military, 
whereas the elite was cosmopolitan. Yeah. The elite was from different areas. So there was a, there was a cultural difference between that. And, and there, is a, there was a precedent of the military taking over in, in the whole region. Mm. And actually, at the time, it was a global fashion. <laughs> From Latin America to Pakistan, you had people in military uniform taking over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the way to avoid this is... To create a clear separation, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and keep it very, uh, very small yeah. and, and, and weak, the state. And, but the, the, the other side of this is that that kind of freedom also allows for the PLO to come and, and set up yeah, the shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially that the, the half the population were in sympathy with the, with the PLO. Yeah, yeah. Well, because the, part of that division. Yeah. And, and, and how, does, how does then Hezbollah come into the picture? Because Hezbollah is, 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 is a political movement as well as a military yes, uh, faction absolutely so how does that come into it's, the picture it, okay now this is also a fascinating story because when you live in a multicultural uh, space you, each group have their different regional mm. uh, affiliation and their different uh, historical uh, references and the shia of lebanon Oh, no, no, that's fine. That's, oh, no, no, no problem. This is... I, I switched no it problem. Off. No problem at all. So, so the Shia of Lebanon are part of... Uh, experienced the same uh, Shiite revival, the phenomenon of Shiite revival from the 50s and mm. 60s that happened in, in Iran and in, in Iraq and... and uh, after the Mossadegh re 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 revolution, mm -hmm. so the the this is not shutting up. <laughs> You're I'm wanted man. Off, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had switched. Uh, so um, so the the the, um, the I mean the, the main division is that in Shiite Islam, you. Uh, there, there is a culture of suffering, mm. and you're supposed to suffer quietly until it's called quietism. Uh, until the the hidden imam re, re comes back, it's it's sort of messianic, mm, mm -hmm. yeah. So the, the the hidden imam will come back and establish justice. Yeah, yeah. On, on earth. Now, this means that if you are a quietist. At twelver, you have to wait for the hidden imam to come. You have to wait for the return to establish justice. Mm. It also means that it's futile to try and establish justice before the hidden imam comes. And if you try and participate in politics, it means that your faith in the hidden imam's return is a bit shaky. Right. So, so, so the clergy were the the mainstream of the clergy were quietists in. In, in, in Iran uh, at the time and in Najaf in Iraq where the, the, the main center is yeah and of course the, the annual Quietus pilgrimage and, to Najaf and, yeah. uh, but uh, young people uh, were uh, I mean imagine yourself in the 50s with the, with uh, the rise of nationalism with the with the, uh, the, uh, all these ideas mm. floating and your your clergy is telling you that you should just pray and not not participate in politics mm. and 
all these revolutions happening. In the, in and the to world. stand by and watch. Yeah. So there was a movement. There was a movement in which was which was across the board in which was a kind of rebellion against quietism, which was represented by which is called the Shiite revival, mm -hmm. political revival, where they started uh, participating in politics. And many of them were kicked out of Iran and spread all over the world. Many went to Paris, to Egypt, to Iraq, Syria, right. Lebanon. Right. And then eventually, when it wasn't so uh, so healthy to be in in, in Syria or in uh, in Iraq under Saddam or <laughs> places like, or or in Egypt where you were being also. Uh, there was not enough mm. freedom. They, they all conglomerate, conglomerated to Lebanon, where, where uh, one of their uh, classmates, one of their mm. movement, uh, uh, was appointed as the head of the Shiite uh, council in Lebanon, Imam Musa Sadr. Mm. So Imam Sadr is a is a key figure in this. It's a family that originates from Lebanon. That emigrated to Iran to spread the Shiite faith in in Safavid uh, times. Right. So so it, so this is the, the there are the relations. The dense between, links. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. Very dense links, and and this is what happens in a in a in a in a multicultural environment. They have links. We don't. Mm. This is their links. Mm. This is not mm. our links. Mm. Mm. And, and they're experiencing a revival we're not, hmm. or we're experiencing a different yeah. revival, yeah. which is more uh, connected to, to uh, if you're a Christian, to secular movements yeah. within the Christian world, or to uh, nationalist movements uh, in, 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 in the region. And, and, so when, when, and when you're in an environment where you, you're, you respect multiculturalism, you give it freedom mm. To, mm. of expression, and you don't clash with it because if they believe in the, in the imam, let them believe in their imam. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. You, they, like we and if it's around. coexistence, right, without violence, if it's coexistence, yes. then it's, yeah. Exactly. So, so this, brings even, this brings even a worse hmm. thing, which is compromise. Hmm. So, so, so when, when the PLO was kicked out of, of Jordan, they were kicked out of Egypt, kicked out of Jordan, kicked out of Syria, and they ended up in Beirut with the support of uh, of, of at least half the population. Uh, you compromise. You don't you don't put the supporters of the PLO in jail mm. because they 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 especially the Sunni population were uh, taken by the the. Uh, Nationalist revival of Nasser. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. It was not exclusively Sunni. It's not that clear-cut clear -cut sectarian, yeah, yeah. but 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 uh, uh, you 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 in a way accept even if if you don't accept the idea, you accept that they believe that, mm, 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 and mm. you and you make a compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On it, so so that's how the PLO became became. Uh, Embedded, so central, yeah. and that's embedded, and and the 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 Shiite movements in Lebanon were very close to Iran. I mean, the the Amal movement was was created by Mustafa Shamran, who was an exile from Iran in 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 Lebanon, and who went back to Iran and became the first 
defense minister on the Khomeini. Huh. Right. So that's how close. Right. Uh, and and the military training that these people got was with the PLO in Lebanon. Right. And the ideological training was was with that toxic mixture of revolutionaries. Right. Where 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 uh, which included the uh, liberation theology from the Latin Americans. Hmm. So you have Marxists <laughs> becoming Islamists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I mean, there is even one example in Lebanon of a Palestinian Christian who was a Marxist who founded an Islamist party <laughs> in Tripoli. Right. I think he's still alive. Right. I have his, his memoir. So th- that that kind of a travesty. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which you can't even invent in a f- in fiction ex- ex- existed in. And and in Lebanon we. In in a way, we 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 like the freedom, we enjoy the freedom, and when it gets out of control, we accept the the uh, authoritarianism of either the army or Syrian presence. But then, when that gets out of, when that gets too much, we reject it again. Right. So you have a, like a pendulum, yeah, swing swinging from complete anarchy and chaos, which we love. Mm. To uh, to insecurity, which makes us accept, for example, in 1958, after the first clash uh, over Nasserism, we accepted a, an army general as a as a president. Right, right. Yeah, which was fashionable. I mean, it was in tune with global fashion at the, at the time. But, so, but it sounds like a really interesting yeah, but, place. But no, we, yeah. we, the, the the balance and yeah. it's, it, so, it kind of it. it it strikes me as a place the that's imbalance. well. I guess exactly the the, the constant, in a world in a world of order, chaos rules, right? And that's what that's yes. what that's what that seems like, right? Because there is an order, a deeply intertwined cultural, nuanced order that exists that allowed the place to be, dare I say, the hippie of the you know Middle East in the sense that it was so it was so liberated both you know uh, uh, in its intellectual capacity and freedom. But also on the other side, in this kind of uh, rebellion uh, slash resistance to authoritarianism, which is where, which yeah. is why the link you made uh, to the revolutionaries, I, I found really interesting, and I never, never knew that that it was, you know, Baramanov, you know, <laughs> and, and and prosperity yeah. and prosperity. I mean, we have you have you have the Levantine uh, merchants mm, and bankers mm. who came from Aleppo right. or from Mosul, were part of the trade route. To India, mm, mm, mm. and and the ones that came from Alexandria and Cairo, were were people who had taken part in very sophisticated global financial transactions mm, mm. during the building of the Suez Canal, right. during the medieval uh, the deaths of the of the of the ruler during for the Sudan mm. campaign, for example. Mm. Uh, so they they would trade international bonds. Mm. And, and uh, whereas in uh, in Beirut, at the same time, they were just uh, small trading houses that dealt with uh, the silk production, and right? Cultural. It wasn't so. It the, what what the uh, what the immigrants brought with yeah, it expanded was the, far mm, more sophisticated mm. than what we what we. So, so why why is um, Lebanon experiencing? such economic 
strife over the more recent past, given its kind of uh, eclectic, colourful history, design, uh, openness, etc. What? Why? Why is Lebanon where it is at the moment? And and perhaps you can even give us a quick summary as to where Lebanon is at the moment uh, economically. Well, Lebanon is now in complete paralysis. We have no president, no government, no no parliament, no central bank governor. Very soon we will have no army chief. So it's it's a complete collapse of the whole state institutions through paralysis. Mm. And the paralysis is created mainly by Hezbollah, uh, through, in the same way as, as uh, maybe Hamas took over mm. Gaza, Hezbollah took over here, but a different context. But since 2005, it's been assassinations, triggering wars. Uh, uh, so it, I wrote a piece comparing what's happened in Gaza now mm. with the 2006. Mm. I'll link that to this. That is was triggered by really Hezbollah. Good, yeah. Hezbollah in 2006 was in a in a corner in a sense because we were telling Hezbollah. I mean, the the, the conversation, if you like, was that that that's it. There's no more need for a resistance. The Israelis withdrew in 2000. Mm. We give you credit, you liberated, and you know we accept all this. You you never contradict mm. the national mm. uh, narrative mm. of people, of your partner. And the Syrians withdrew, also. So let's turn the page and rebuild the country. Mm. And by triggering the war, they reestablished their their uh, political credentials their yeah 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 political presence because because if i was speaking to a hezbollah person and telling him listen there's the the, the un has issued seven secu- security council resolutions for lebanese sovereignty and security in the last six months and the united states and europe and the eu and uh france and the arab league are all in support mm. of of Lebanon, uh, and the Syrians have been forced to withdraw. Uh, let's for let's build a new country. Uh, we are we don't need the arms anymore. Mm. By provoking the war, he tells uh, just one week after the war, he would tell you, "Okay, we look, the Israel is still a threat. The, the, United, the United States supported Israel. The EU supported Israel." And uh, the UN is powerless, and the Arab League is powerless. So, so it it managed to re re mm. re regain the legitimacy of the arms, mm. and gradually took over the country through paralysis, through assassinations, through mm. maintaining a constant state of war. Um, mm. And and and, and but because I guess in two thousand six, and and just to kind of zero in on that a little bit it can be yeah. said that hezbollah technically won against israel as much as israel overwhelmed uh, uh but well in this uh hezbollah won against israel in the same way as hamas mm, has won mm. yeah. it produced it caused a reaction that then uh, uh, yes forced israel to over, overreact price. yeah that's right so yeah uh, yeah whatever happens hamas will declare victory mm. But the people who paid the price yeah. were, are the civilians yeah. in, in Gaza. Yeah. 
we paid the price in that the country was destroyed. Mm. But Hezbollah declares victory. Yeah. Can I just on the on the link between the two? I mean, and, and again, the, something that's kind of already come out, but you know, as you mentioned, Hezbollah yeah. has got deep Shiite roots, uh, far deeper than I than I than I realized, and 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 the density between yeah. Hezbollah and Iran is far denser than I realized. But then, of course, uh, Hamas is Sunni, uh, which. You know, Hamas is Sunni and deeply ingrained in the Muslim, Muslim Brotherhood, right? right. So, so which competing which are, tracks, which are, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. C- complete competing yeah. tracks. Okay, so so maybe get rationalize now, that for us because that's perhaps something that's very easy. Yeah, okay. It's very easy. Uh, in 1992, um, in 1992, Israel uh, rounded up all the senior Hamas leaders, 400 of them, and kicked them out of the country, exiled them across the Lebanese border. <laughs> so they established camp in South mm. Lebanon for a whole year. Right. And that's where they bonded with, with Hezbollah. That's the revolutionary the uh, brotherhood, right? That's, that's, the, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the brotherhood. Mm, right, yes. right, right, right. And, and common enemy. They, common enemy. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I mean, now there are two factions in, in Gaza. One of them is the Palestinian Islamic mm, Jihad, mm, mm. which is part of Khomeini's uh, export of the revolution. And again, Shia, right? If I understand that correctly. Uh, no, they are. Uh, no, they are. They are not Shia. Oh, they, they are, oh, they are Sunni, okay. uh, Sunnis who drank the Kool Aid right. of, of, uh, of, of Khomeini. <laughs> of Khomeini. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, um, and they they have there was always tensions with with Hamas mm. uh, on. On, on that, um, and and uh, there was a serious rift between them, between uh, Hamas and Hezbollah and Hamas and Iran during the Syrian uh, revolution, because because the Muslim Brotherhood element in Syria was anti-Assad, mm. and Hezbollah was helping mm, Assad, mm. and the, the the Hamas was helping the Muslim Brotherhood uh, with uh, digging. Uh, they taught them how to dig tunnels and uh, they, they, they taught them tactics and te- gave them technology that they had learned from from the Iranian uh, uh, revolutionary mm, guards. Mm, mm. And uh, at the time, the, the Iranian uh, revolutionary guard elements thought that uh, uh, Hamas was it was treason that they were they were selling they were communicating the technology that they had taught them to yeah them so so there was a lot of a lot of tension but then this was sorted out because they needed the money and they needed the support so so all this um, talk that uh, iran had nothing to do with it and the attack had nothing to do with iran and this is purely uh uh, a Palestinian resistance ma- matter. It's uh, uh, I don't know what's the acceptable word for bullshit <laughs> in uh, podcasts. <laughs> you, you nailed it, <laughs> yes. right? Well, that's, that's interesting. I mean, because that's that that is a narrative that's that's there. I say taking hold, especially since Hassan Nasrallah's speech right last Friday, which was very much yes. awaited by the world to gauge. Where Hezbollah sits. Very, very, very clever PR. Right. 
Okay, so okay, that's interesting because, and I think maybe if if you don't mind, it might be worthwhile delving into that because he was, some might say, fairly explicit in saying that this was a Palestinian thing and that you know Hezbollah stands ready to go, but uh, Hezbollah uh, doesn't want to, in not so many words or, or in far more words. Um, but also, many analysts have drawn links to 2006, where he also came out and said that had he known what was going to happen, i.e. had he yes. anticipated the wrath uh, that Israel was going to exact yes. on the civilians of Lebanon, uh, he would have made yes. another decision. Uh, and, and, and that's, that's, uh, that's, that's a similar adjective to... I mean, the, right. That's also... Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. So again, this is the PR but Because, stunt. I mean, if... It, if if you cross the border and you kill eight soldiers and you kidnap mm. two, and when you go back you start throwing katyushas at Israel, what do you expect Israel to do? I mean, yes, yeah. it was a it was a deliberate provocation of mm. war, and they succeeded in it. And it, this was the objective, and the objective was to cause as much civilian casualties yeah. as possible to gain the the. Uh, sympathy yeah. of the Arab world. Uh, uh, Nasrallah became the hero in the in the Gulf, in North Africa, uh, right. at Columbia University. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so what, is, what does Hezbollah want out of this right now? I mean, given what's happening and in, in that, you know, one of the big fears is and why, you know, many are saying that the U.S. Has, uh, uh, has bolstered its presence in the region is that there is a risk of serious escalation. And Hezbollah is... I guess trying to play the game, yeah. you know, we, we've seen an increase in uh, in missiles being launched uh, and between Israel and 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 uh, Hezbollah, but many are sort of saying, well, it's within the kind of accepted, uh, normalized yes. uh, state of war. That's what you say right. when you don't. Yeah. So, so yeah. It's, yeah, but but each side can escalate mm. at any moment by saying that this was like one. Yeah, too far. Yeah, yeah. Beyond. Too many died, or yeah, because soldiers are dying, certainly on the Israeli yeah, side, or, but of course civilian and and Hezbollah fighters. Uh, I think in the sixties, Hezbollah fighters were quite, yeah. quite a lot of of Hezbollah fighters. If you accept that in two thousand and six, the number was below two hundred. Uh, Sixty is now one third of two thousand and six. Mm, mm. It's it's quite a, a lot, but uh, but also I mean there were. Uh, also hundreds or if I mean the figure is accepted figure is about 3,000 Hezbollah fighters who died in Syria. Right, okay. If you'd like to hear the rest of this episode and gain access to all of the episodes of The Voices of War, simply become a subscriber using the link in the show notes. As you know, I will not feature any ads on the show, which is made possible solely through the support of our subscribers. If you find value in the content, you can become one now.